0: That was an appropriate song for us to be singing as we uh, begin uh, a a trip into the Psalms, a look at the Psalms. Over the next few weeks here in the English congregation, uh, until the end of September actually, uh, we'll be taking time to uh, dig into the Psalms. Uh, We have some special Sundays along the way as well that uh, we'll be uh, doing different different things. But... uh, We'll be running through a series here now on the book of Psalms. And uh, it's interesting, we're singing about ancient words, and these certainly are ancient words. Uh, Psalms uh, being written uh, somewhere, we don't know exactly, but somewhere between three and a half thousand years ago or more. And so they are truly ancient words. But the interesting thing about Psalms and the wonderful thing about Psalms is that we learn about God from, from the Psalms. We learn about humans. We learn about ourselves from the Psalms. About what the things that make us angry and upset and joyful at times. We learn all these things as we look at the Psalms. We learn about people's experience. The things that different ones went through. And how they process that with God. And so this is a, this is a, real, uh, a real book. And we've entitled this series Getting Real with God. Because that's what... Uh, that's what the psalms are about. Because we read about the psalm writers as they're frustrated with God. As they're frustrated with His seeming inaction in their life. That he doesn't seem to be doing anything. And so they cry out to God. God doesn't seem to be anywhere to be found. And so they cry out to Him. And the psalms are a record of that sort of emotion and that sort of experience. That sort of experience that we all share. The Psalms at times describe the feeling of sin as it bears down on you. Of sin as it wears on you. Of sin as sin uh, as it sits on your shoulders and becomes this burden. And then the relief when those sins are confessed to God. It describes those sorts of things. It describes when in disgrace David calls out to God and he says, pour out His wrath on His enemies and let God's fierce anger overtake them and their names be blotted out from the book of life. He's calling down a curse on His enemies. Calling down God to to come and to do something about the situation to uh, curse the enemies. And at times, the Psalms speak of the glory of God as the writer of the Psalms looks at the heavens, sees the heavens, and responds in words of praise and giving glory to God for who He is and what He's done. These are very human, very real expressions of emotions. And they last through generations and through to us, even though they are ancient words. They're alive to us today. And so we'll take some time to look at the Psalms Jesus Himself uh, shows and He quotes the Psalms from time to time. And he, gives, he validates their worth and their importance. And in Luke chapter 20, verse 42, uh, Jesus says, David Himself declares in the book of Psalms. So Jesus elevates the Psalms and He, he recognizes their importance and He recognizes at least in uh, that instance of Jesus quoting that this is from David, King David Himself. And so the Psalms are all about uh, learning about God and learning how uh, humans interact with God. One writer has described Psalms as the Psalms. Good news that never goes out of fashion because they tap into our emotions and experiences in life and how those reflect on our relationship with God. And so Psalms are worth taking some time to look at. Psalms, just to point out, Psalms are poetry. So they're a little bit different than the usual uh, sort of thing that we encounter as we're uh, preaching and teaching through the Bible. They're not letters written to an individual or to a church, but they're a human, just like you and I, expressing their emotions to God. They're not historical narratives telling us the story of what happened, but they're talking about people's real experiences and how they process them. As poems... Uh, go, uh, the Psalms are examples of Hebrew poetry. And of course, we're not reading them in Hebrew, we're reading them in English. So we lose a little bit of those things that we uh, can sometimes find in, in language. The rhymes, the rhythm, the meter of poetry all gets lost in the translation. But there's important things uh, that we can see. And so as we look at Psalms, we as the Psalms, we see things like parallelism, about how uh, the, the words and phrases fit together, where an idea is repeated with some changes. And maybe uh, an idea is there and, and a positive side, and a negative side is looked at. But there's parallelism. There's comparing and contrasting. There's similes and metaphors. These things that we are used to seeing in our poetry as well. So be looking for those as we uh, look at the Psalms. The Psalms are a book, are a collection of 150 different Psalms. And we're not going to, don't worry, we're not going to look at all of the Psalms. We're just taking an example of a few of them. We would be in the Psalms for the next three or four years if we tried to to look through them all. But just uh, keep that in mind, that we are going to stop at different Psalms and pick up different ideas that are there in these different Psalms. And so we, uh, we look at the Psalms, and we're going to start today with Psalm 1. The Psalms uh, are divided into five different books, and if you look carefully at your text, you'll see that the, 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 the beginning of, uh, of Psalm 1, it says Book 1, Psalms 1 to 41, so that makes up Book 1, and you'll find Book 2, 3, 4, and 5. And the psalm's ending with Psalm 150, which is a glorious declaration of praise to God with trumpets and harps and lyres and cymbals and tambourines and dancing all because of God's mighty deeds and His excellent greatness. But even that psalm is a response, is a human response to the greatness, to the wonder of God. And so we're going to be taking time uh, to look at... uh, at the Psalms, but we want to start off looking at Psalm 1 uh, this morning. And just uh, this is probably a familiar one to most people. Psalm 1, book 1, uh, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. And so we see, uh, we see in the Psalms here, uh, we see a lot of these features of poetry here in Psalm 1. And so in Psalm 1, we see the parallelism in verse 1. The three ways in which we should not go or the three paths in which we shouldn't take. This is Psalms talking about how we should live our lives. And what are the sort of influences that we should follow. And he says we should be not walking in the step with the wicked, or standing the way that sinners take, or sitting in the company of mockers. You get the feel of the poetry there, don't you? Stepping, standing, sitting—you know—and and and so these are all ways of expressing the same thing: that how are we how are we living? How are we living out our lives? Are we living out our lives in in a way that reflects uh, us walking in the step with the wicked, or? Going in the way that sinners or the, or the mockers would take? Or are we living in a way that would please God? And so um, this is, uh, this is the, the, the question that the psalm is, is kind of raising. How are, we, how are we living ourselves? Paul actually talks about this and cautions us in, about this in 1 Corinthians 15.33 where he seems to be actually quoting a Greek poet. And he finds some truth there, and he says bad company corrupts good character. This is what the Internet has done with our poor friends from Sesame Street. Just making a joke about bad company. Here we've got uh, Oscar and Bert and Ernie and Elmo, and I think it's Cookie Monster in the back there, uh, making them out to be bad company. Of course, they're not. But... uh, uh, but the verse, the verse is 1 Corinthians 15.33. Bad company corrupts good character. And so how are we walking? Who are we walking with? Who are we spending our time with? And how is it that we are living? The, the psalmist is saying though the way we live our lives uh, can sometimes not... Uh, result in blessing. Or he puts it in the, in the other way. He says, blessed is the one who does not live in this way. Who does not live in, in this way. So the lifestyle choices we have make a difference in our lives. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, uh, he, he contrasts this. He says, but, in, but uh, blessed is the one whose delight is in the, law, in the law of the Lord, in the Word of God, in our Bible. A day. He takes time. The, that person takes time to consider. He says he meditates on it, uh, on on God's law, day and night. And the important part there, I think, in that passage is that that idea of meditating on it, of thinking about it, of taking that time to stop and think. We can read the Bible and we can have it become an intellectual exercise for us. Something that we know. We know we can know all kinds of verses. We can memorize extensive passages of Scripture. We can spend our time studying. But does it mean anything to us? Do we really meditate on it day and night? Do we stop and think about what it means? Do we read it with our heart engaged in what it has to say? Thinking about... What does this mean for me? In Matthew 18, uh, Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness, and he says, "How often should I forgive?" And we could read that passage as one that is simply an account of the interaction between Peter and Jesus, which it is. It is giving us recorded for us an account of a question Peter has and Jesus' response. We could just read that and we could absorb that as a bit of knowledge and say, okay, now I know about this conversation that Peter had with Jesus. Or do we stop and meditate on it and think about what does that mean for me? How do I respond? Do I forgive? You see the difference there of reading the Bible and actually meditating it, thinking on it and thinking about it and thinking, what does this mean for me? Do we ponder how we hold grudges or hurts from the past? How we don't forgive and let God do a healing in our heart. Instead, we just read it and we say, oh, Peter was told to forgive. We need to take that next step and move from learning about the Word of God and uh, delighting in it and meditating on it. Move to meditating on it. Thinking about how that works. Then he goes on, the writer, the, the writer of this psalm goes on in verse 3, and he gives a parallelism. He says, that person, that one who is blessed, is like a tree. There's the, the simile. That word like is there. Um, that simile, we are like a tree that's planted by, the, by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. There's the parallelism, the three things that happen when that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. There's all sorts of imagery we could unpack in here. All sorts of, of, of rich biblical imagery. Uh, when Jesus talks about Himself as a stream of living water flowing out of you, you, you get that you, you start to think about that. Uh, what is that water where where you, that tree is planted by? When you think about uh, at, at the end of our Bible, in, Revelation, in the end of the book of Revelation, when we see trees and streams flowing, it brings up all those sorts of imagery that of course wasn't there when the psalm was written because that, that was written thousands of years later. But for us who have the whole complete scripture this idea brings all sorts of images to mind. But we bear fruit. We bear fruit. I think that's the important part here. Knowing the Word of God so that we can do what the Word of God says. To be blessed by God and be fruitful by God or for God is what's really important. And Galatians 5:22 and 23 gives us some idea. Again, picking up the imagery of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things, there's no law against them. This is bearing fruit. But fruit in in Psalm, I think in the Psalms it has even a bigger, a broader picture in mind than just the, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit can be those who are brought to Christ. Others that you've helped along the way in their walk with Christ. Acts of service that we've done for our Creator and our own continuing growth in truth and knowledge and our relationship with God. Those are all fruits that is born as we are like a tree planted with deep roots that go down and are held holding firm onto the Word of God and are watered regularly by the Word of God. And so he says, blessed is the one, and this is part of the blessing is we are we are bearing fruit. And sometimes maybe we wonder about blessing and obedience. Uh, we think, well, you know, how is it that it all works together? Someone has written and said, if you plant yourself away from the river, you give yourself no chance of bearing fruit. But how does this blessing and obedience work together? Because we say, well, we're saved by faith. We have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's true. And that's true. Eternal life is not a reward for a life of faithful obedience, but it's a, it's a gift of God by, that's given as we put our faith in Him. So yes, faith, uh, eternal life comes through faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. But God still wants His people to be obedient. And Jesus strongly affirms that need for us to be working out our faith in a way that pleases God. He affirms our need uh, to help the poor in our community. He affirms uh, the fact that we should be looking out for the vulnerable in our society. We should be forgiving one another. We should be loving our neighbors as ourselves. We should love God. We should treat children as ones who are worthy of respect. We shouldn't be hypocrites or lovers of money or seeking attention or prideful, these are all outward workings that Jesus of our faith, that Jesus affirms in us and says, yes, this is how you should be living. God does reward obedience. And here in Genesis 22, verses 15-18, to 18, it gives a, a wonderful picture of that. And the Bible says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord that because You have done this and not withheld Your Son, Your only Son, I will surely bless You and make Your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through Your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because You have obeyed Me. You see bracketed all in between these brackets, which is because You have done this, because You have obeyed Me, there is this huge blessing but you need to pay attention to those brackets it's because you have done this And so indeed blessings come as we are one who is planted by streams of water yielding fruit bearing fruit for others And then the writer turns to the other side of the par- of the parallel the contrasting side and he says not so the wicked they are like chaff that blows away the wicked don't last they're not useful just like in in the in the picture here of winnowing the the seeds you you break the seed covering off you throw the seeds and the covering up in the air and the wind just takes the seed covering away and it's just it's it's of no use it's useless and that's what The psalmist is saying here too. Those who don't follow God are the wicked. They're like the chaff. This is pretty strong language. This is pretty, uh, can be hard to hear, but this is what God's word says. The wicked are like chaff. And the results, verse 5, is in separation. They will not be standing in the time of God, in the time of judgment. They won't be uh, together with the righteous as we stand before God. This is kind of a, a harsh thing to hear. Kind of a difficult thing. But this is one psalm. This is one psalm giving us one picture. And when we look, we see other psalms that give us hope. And so we don't end with a note of despair, but of hope. In Psalm 86, verses 15-16, to the psalmist writes, he says, "...but You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to Me and have mercy on Me. Show Your strength in behalf of Your servant. Save Me, because I serve You just as My mother did." This is also a message of hope that, the, that psalmists give to us. And so we look and we look at Psalm 1 and we might despair, but there's no need because we have that hope. We have that hope in God. And then finally in verse 6, we see that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all. And in this passage, he says, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. God is watching over all of it. We don't have to be discouraged but because this is a wonderful end to this psalm. This is a reminder that God oversees all in creation. He oversees everything. If it feels like it's beyond our ability to understand how this separation of the righteous and the chaff happens, how that all unfolds, we don't have to worry about it. We give it to God. We treat all people like they are children of God and we leave the separation to God who is perfect in His wisdom and His insight. He sees to the very core of our hearts and He will make a perfect judgment. God knows. God knows our concern. And He reassures us that it is the Lord who watches over us. He's not giving us that task to do. But instead, He is sovereign over all people. Our part is not to look at others, but to look at ourselves and say, How am I living? Am I living in a way that bears fruit? God watches over the way of the uh, the righteous. God provides for us, defends us, and keeps us. As we walk through tough times, God is with us, keeping us through hard times, because God is sovereign. So as we come away from Psalm 1, we come with a reminder that to stay close to God through His Word. Delighting and meditate on, meditating on it. We let God's Spirit work in us and together with God helping us, leading us from knowing to obeying to that blessing into fruitfulness ultimately. And so we need to commit ourselves to being on that pathway bearing fruit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for uh, the challenge to bear fruit, to be ones who are living in God's Word. And we pray You'd help us to do that day by day, to live in Your Word, to be transformed by Your Word, to be shaped by Your Word, so that we can bear fruit for Your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.